Magazine of Rogue Cookers, Texas Embedded Correspondent. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me. Fine. How you doing? <laughs> you have a great show. I'm a big fan. Boing. So what, what, what seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the, in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? We ate two feet before we nursed. Listen, Laverne, you have to shut your face. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. <laughs> top men. And just like that, we are into the second hour of the Barbecue Central Show where we talk about all things that are important in the world of barbecue and grilling. It's a two-hour live show happening each and every Tuesday from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. We'll do it live. We are also recording audibly for podcasts. So if you missed the first hour or you missed the second hour, you will get that first hour number one tomorrow at some point early in the morning, Wednesdays. And second hour will be here on Thursday, and I'll tell you about Friday here in just one second. Chris Young from Combustion Inc. is still to come on the show tonight, and also Joe Martinez from Smoking Joe's Pit Barbecue, the 2023 Podgimentary Spotlight has been shined on him, and we'll talk about the first three months of his operation at Smoking Joe's Pit Barbecue, the barbecue food trailer. This show originating from Palm City, USA, Cleveland. And we say good evening to those of you watching the show tonight through one of the video streaming platforms, Facebook or Twitch slash BBQ Central Show. By the way, Twitch is twitch.tv, not .com. But either or slash BBQ Central Show. You can also watch the show on YouTube slash RD Rempe. And an update on the YouTube poll question of the week. I asked you. Have you ever had potted meat? 70, I'm 70, 59% of you are saying no. It's gotten a lot closer than I thought it was. We're nearly 50, 50, 41% of you are saying you have 59% of you are saying you have not had potted meat. And we will keep the tally going here through the course of the evening. One guest, Robert Moss has had potted meat. And one guest, Meathead, has not had potted meat. So a 50-50 split down the guests here this evening. We'll ask Chris Young and Joe Martinez here as the second hour unfolds. Coming up on the best moments of the Barbecue Central show in 10 minutes or less this coming Friday, episode 281, taking you back to May 17th of 2011. So 12 years ago, you'll be hearing... From him, live in two weeks' time, but this Friday, the show features barbecue legend, barbecue Hall of Famer, a Barbecue Central Show's guest Hall of Famer, a cookbook author, a TV personality, a five-time overall world grand champion at Memphis in May, Chris Lilly of Big Bob Gibson's. Now in 2011, as you will hear in the show, Big Bob's notched its then third overall title at Memphis in May. They have since won two additional overall world titles in that time. 
which has them in a deadlock with another Memphis and May legend, Myron Mixon. By the way, here's an update. A Barbecue Central Show exclusive news update. Greg Rampey reporting from the breaking news desk here in Cleveland, Ohio, Bomb City, USA, the city that breaks the most live fire breaking news across the nation, nay, the globe. I have confirmed with the man himself, as Malcolm Reed had mentioned, he thought that Myron Mixon was not going to be at Memphis in May this year because there was a booking confusion with uh, with, uh, Myron having booked a class at his house the same weekend as Memphis in May. And I said, well, certainly that can't be the case. Well, I reached out to Myron. I said, I've heard through a few sources that you're not going to Memphis in May. Is that true? And he said, that is 100% true. I'm not going. He books so far in advance for these cooking classes at his house that whenever he got to May a year ago, he didn't put that weekend together with Memphis in May and he booked a class. So to his credit, as I told him in the text message, geez, I don't know what like the last time you missed the Memphis in May was, maybe when you were eight. But this has to be bittersweet. A, from the outsider looking in, very commendable that you would put together a class on Memphis and May's weekend, not know about it originally, but I'm sure you had to find out about it weeks ago, months ago, and not say, hey, everybody, we're going to have to move this back. This is kind of a big weekend for me. This is the weekend for me. I'm also in a dead heat lock with Big Bob Gibson's. They're going to go, so we want to make sure we have a shot at breaking this tie and having us come out on the winning end of it. So we're going to have to move the class, but no, he has the class. He's going to do the class. And he said that next year he will absolutely do a better job of planning logistically as it relates to Memphis and May and his classes, but he's already booking January, 2024 classes here as we sit in the beginnings of May, 2023. So Know this, Myron Mixon's classes are very popular and they book very far out in advance. So if you want to get into one, it's probably not happening this year unless somebody backs out and you're able to grab a seat. So if you want to book, do it now and it's going to be next year already. It's like getting a truck from Peterbilt or any heavy-duty manufacturer. You're on the waiting list, pal. It's not just something that's going to be happening in the next few weeks. So that has been confirmed. Myron Mixon missing Memphis in May this year because he has a scheduling conflict, uh, con- conflict, or as we say in America, conflict, because he has a cooking class at his house that weekend. Nevertheless, this week's Best Moment Show, you will hear from the other side of that deadlock, Chris Lilly. So about a week away, we can change away from the 2023 Memphis in May contest. It'll be nice to hear what Chris and the team went through 12 years ago. And then we'll see what happens here as the 2023 version of Memphis and May takes place. And we'll get a recap on that from Chris himself here in a couple weeks. Don't forget, if you want to hear a guest or segment again on the show that might be lost in the archives, email John, J-O-N, at thebbqcentralshow.com and let them know what you would like to hear. I can say because my email was jacked for the last month or so, there's a really good chance that if you reached out to him through the at thebbqcentralshow.com email, He didn't get those until starting Saturday when I started getting mine again. So if you've put something in, you haven't heard back from him, resubmit 
just so we both know that he has it and then he can get to work on the show that you would like to hear. Uh, email reaction from the show last week. Gerald in Texas is writing in. Greg, I didn't see that blindside coming that you delivered to Sam last week regarding the Traeger griddle cooker. Don't you think that was a bit Bush League of you to do? I'm not the host or guest, but I certainly would have taken you to task if I were Sam. Piece of advice going forward. Tread a little more lightly with some of your more notable guests. Love the show. Regards, Gerald. Gerald, thank you for writing it. And after further consideration, Gerald, I would just like to say this. Fuck you. You are 100% right, Gerald. You are not the host. Andrew, you are not the the host. And you are not the guest. Andrew, you are not the the guest. So what you have done is you have earned the right to sit back and listen and be entertained with the show. Not... Andrew, you are not the host. You have not earned the right to talk about this. Just listen to the show. And if you ever write in again, Gerald, I'm going to ban you from the show and the internet. I can do that. I can ban you from the internet. I've done it before. I'll do it again. You're a punk. You're a dog. <laughs> but you are a punk. And if you ever write in on the show giving me advice on how to handle my guests and how I should tread lightly or not tread lightly, I will ban you from the show, number one. And number two, I will ban you from the internet, period. And that is on period. Bruce in Mississippi writing in, Greg, longtime fan and podcast listener, Last week's show got me to think, what would the chances be of having both Malcolm and Sam on together to do a segment or two? I think it would be a great combination of information and entertainment. Just something that struck me while I was mowing the lawn late Sunday evening. Love the show. Regards, Bruce. Bruce, thank you for writing it. Now that is something that could actually happen. Maybe we could call it the Barbecue Central Show's Power Hour. Or something more dopey that sounds more live fire esque. I don't know. But Bruce, I don't think I've ever thought of that as something that might actually happen. That could actually happen. I'll get to work on that. Let me see what I can come up with. So we have a dichotomy here, right? We have a good emailer, Bruce in Mississippi, and then we have a punk. Don't be a punk. By the way, the email address works, greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. And Gerald, if you're listening to the show, don't email me anymore because I also have you blocked and spammed. You can't get in. Next step, banning you from the internet. Don't make me do that. Banning you from the show, banning you from the internet. All right, Chris Young will be showing up here momentarily before he comes in. I'll ask you this question. Have you tried potted meat? Yes or no? How about this? What do we love about ceramic cookers? We love that they're fuel efficient. We love that they can achieve low and slow temperatures for traditional barbecue meats. 
Also, because they can get rip-roaring hot for the high-temperature grilling of steaks and other thin cuts. But what's missing in the everyday ceramic cooker lineup? The real ability to do true two-zone cooking. Two-zone cooking is very important to both professional and backyard cooks alike. It's the best way to manage a fire and cook with confidence. However, getting a two-zone fire and a round ceramic cooker is not very realistic. Why? Because it's round. Enter Primo Grill and the game-changing oval design. This shape gives you the ability to execute that two-zone setup that you desire. It also gives you the other ceramic grill benefits as well. When you break it down, there's more than 60 different ways. 6-0. 60 different ways to cook on that Primo cooker, so you're only limited by your culinary imagination. Plus, they have all the accessories that you could want, like the Primo Grill rotisserie, the Primo Grill pizza accessory, the half pan, the full pan, the drip pan, the rib rack. They've made modifications to the lift hinge. They have the top and bottom air dampers. What more do you want? There's more coming, I can tell you that. Only sold through dealers, so find one near you, primogrill.com. That's primogrill.com. And here's the bottom line. Best ceramics in the biz, PetNet technology, true two-zone cooking capabilities, and multiple sizes of oval. So go to the dealer near you, see all the sizes of ovals, and then pick the one that works best for you. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram, too, while you're at it. That's primogrill.com. And we're back with Chris Young right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. This portion of the show being brought to you by Pit Barrel Cooker, the most unbelievable outdoor cooking device on the planet, currently available in three sizes with a host of accessories. Doesn't matter if you're just a beginner or a professional, it's a cooker you want to add to that arsenal. Visit pitbarrelcooker.com and tell them the Barbecue Central Show sent you. My first guest tonight is the founder of the Predictive Thermometer System and company called Combustion Inc. And aside from his disrupting of the wireless thermometer industry, he's also turning out some seriously great content on his YouTube channel, which can be found at Chris Young Cooks, which currently has about 72,000 subscribers. So if you aren't subscribed yet, head on over and sub up so you don't miss anything coming down the pike that's new. Tonight we're talking about a myth that many of us thought was dead and gone, but perhaps we're going to exhume this body in order to take another look at it, and we'll also talk about his recent work with some of the best smart ovens on the market to see which one might reign supreme. We're, of course, welcoming back our pal Chris Young to the show. Chris, before we get into temping steaks or tempering steaks and searing, sealing in the juices and smart ovens, we have a new YouTube poll question of the week. So I have to ask, Chris, I'm asking the centralites and the general public tonight, have you ever had potted meat? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. The odds and the percentages coming back on this poll are changing at breakneck speed. Uh, One segment ago, it was 69% having never eaten potted meat, but with your aunt. yeah, go ahead. I lived in I lived and cooked in England, so potted meat was uh, a popular menu item at, at uh, a lot of pubs. Well, Sam the Cooking Guy said something specifically about the Brits 
doing potted meat. Now, mm-hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, uh, well, I'm not going out on a limb saying, hey, I've never been to England. I've never been anywhere. But number two, I think whatever you're knowing as potted meat and what I'm asking people is uh, the potted meat I'm talking about is found at Walmart. Looks like it's in a cat food can and it says the words potted meat on it. What are you talking about? Uh, same thing, but maybe presented a little nicer, maybe slightly higher quality meat. But what I'm thinking of, you know, in a, in a restaurant, we'd have, uh, it could be, uh, it could be shredded duck cone feet, it could be shredded pork, it could be more of a, a force meat mixed with a lot of fat. It's going to be pushed into a ramkin, and then you're going to pour a layer of fat on top until that congeals and hardens. And, you know, you'd keep it in the fridge and when you want to eat it, you'd warm it up, you'd put it on some toast or something like that. Um, but, you know, it's 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 a confit meat. It's a braised meat. But, you know, sure, you can have it in cans, too. Yeah. Sixty nine cents at Walmart There's probably a little more <laughs> yeah. in England, I would imagine. Well, currently, 50, it's a 50-50 split as we sit here at 1016 Eastern tonight. Half the people voting have had it and half the people voting have not had it. I fall in the not had it. Uh, at this point, and uh, having my experience a couple weeks ago on a plane with a guy that cracked open a can next to me, I don't know I'm, if my urgency <laughs> is at top level to go ahead and try it after what it smelled like, but we'll leave it there for tonight. Before we talk about the searing seal in the juices, let's talk about your most recent video that you have up on the YouTube channel. By the way, let me compliment you on uh, not only the great production value that you are bringing to the YouTube game, but also, the deliberateness and the thoughtfulness and the scientific aspect to what you're doing, where you're not just saying, this is my opinion. I mean, you're testing stuff and you're giving uh, you know, real-world data to, to what you're kind of hypothesizing or whatever the topic mm-hmm. of the videos are. Are you inspired by anybody in particular through YouTube that you're trying to not emulate necessarily, but you like their oh. style, so you're finding yourself being influenced? I mean, absolutely being influenced because uh, YouTube's a different medium for me. Um, while I owned a company that did a lot of YouTube videos with with Chef Steps, uh, you know, I was pretty rarely on camera. I was busy sort of building out the business, building Jewel, you know, figuring out how are we going to do this. But I wasn't in a lot of videos. So, but I've done books before. I've actually been on TV shows in England with my former boss Heston. So. Uh, but, you know, I'm the creator now. These are videos. I write the scripts. I come up with the ideas. Um, I do some, a little bit, teeny bit of the shooting. But I have a, a small group of people I work with for shooting and editing. And and so, you know, figuring out what works, what doesn't work. Of course, I'm looking at, at, at other great channels. And a lot of it is what can I do that's going to be interesting that, you know, there aren't already a bunch of guys doing a great job with. So, um you know, I'm definitely trying to find my own style, but I'd say James Hoffman, um, who's a good friend of mine over in England, has a fantastic uh, YouTube channel. Uh, a lot of his stuff is great. Ethan Chobolowski, Adam Ragusea, you know, all great YouTubers, and there's a lot to learn from them. So let's talk about the tempering of steaks. And <laughs> this is something maybe we don't talk about enough. It's it's so casually thrown about here. Um, you know, we talk about when I do the barbecue round tables and we talk about steaks specifically, I think one of the prep questions is, do you let your meat sit out and try and get to room temperature or do you just season it right out of the refrigerator and throw it on? And you took this to task a little bit. So what was your impetus for doing a video like this and what'd you find out? 
So there was a series of videos I wanted to make, sort of steak myths, right? So I, we can talk about the other one later, but I did, did searing seal in the juices. And, and so I had a list of ones I, I wanted to tackle. And, and should you temper your steak was one of the ones I wanted to, to do. And, you know, going into it, I think like a lot of people, I said, yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, that was my, my, my starting assumption of saying, no, no, it, does, it doesn't matter. And so I set up to do the tests and, and basically demonstrate it doesn't matter. And in my tests, it did matter. So I had to completely throw out the script and, and rewrite it. And I had to dive back into a little bit of some behind the scenes computer simulations, which is mostly me with uh, uh, lots of, of math. Um, I do have a background in, in thermodynamics and, and physics. So, you know, I'm, I'm reasonably comfortable working through the math. And I think I understood why it matters sometimes. And so I ended up doing a video saying, look, you, it's worth tempering your steak. It will cook more evenly. Is it the only way to do it? No, but you know, uh, what was interesting is, you know, I show on camera, hey, you know, here's here's an untempered steak. Here is a steak that I have tempered for four hours, sort of the maximum safe limit under the uh, uh, FDA food code. Um, that the the core has reached all the way to room temperature, and then here's five minutes, and here's fifteen minutes, and you can see by fifteen minutes there's an appreciable difference. The 15 minute steak is cooked more evenly. Uh, and what's funny is I, I show this, I explain the physics of why this is the case. What I don't think I anticipated was, uh, this was th these were fighting words. Like half the comments were immediately, well, Kenji says, or oh. Guga Foods says. And I'm like, I know Kenji. I, you know, I, I, I called him up and we had a conversation. Like he didn't do the experiment the way I did. He got a different result. But it was very interesting that you're showing people the visual evidence. You're showing them on screen the unadulterated steak, and they refuse to believe it. They, they you know, you, the, there's a, a, a serious segment of the internet that doesn't want to let go of their pre-existing beliefs, even when you show them the data that this indeed can matter. Well, I think that's, so, uh, uh, I think that's the general public over the last twelve years, yeah, if we're being honest, Chris. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I, I've sort of gotten comfortable with with. Uh, you know, some people just don't want to change their their beliefs, and and that's fine. I, I present the data. I try to tell it in an interesting way, and I try to explain why. Uh, you know, the, there there really should be a part two of that video because, you know, I know I'm disagreeing with Meathead, who has a has a, a, a post on his uh, site saying, no, it doesn't matter. The answer is it only matters sometimes. Um, if you flip your steak very frequently, it doesn't matter. If you reverse sear, it definitely doesn't matter. If you sous vide cook, it doesn't matter. And and I, I say the reverse sear and sous vide doesn't matter in your video. I, I didn't mention the, if you flip your steak, it doesn't matter. I should have. And, and the fundamental explanation is you can bring heat to the surface of a steak, generally speaking, much faster than heat can move through to the core. And so if you bring too much heat to the surface really quickly, the heat all sort of bottlenecks up like a traffic jam right at the surface and the surface overcooks. So it turns out, you know, one of the things you can do to slow down how quickly you bring heat to the surface is reduce the temperature difference between the surface and the pan. And of course, you could lower the temperature of the pan. But if you temper your steak, just warming it a bit where the surface gets up to room temperature, that's going to slow the flow of heat in so that it can flow in and then flow towards the center uh, at a more balanced rate and you get less of a traffic jam, you get less overcooking. And, you know, that's the physics behind it. It turns out you can get the same effect lots of different ways. Mm. But the adage that a lot of chefs have that tempering makes a difference turns out to be true in some cases. And in restaurants, 
you know, where I've worked, we would often, when the appetite, when the order came in and the appetizers are the first we're going to cook, the steak comes out of the, out of the, uh, the reach end, maybe put some salt on it. We put it up uh, on a sizzle platter uh, on a high boy above the stove or something. And it's going to warm, the surface is going to warm up, you know, in the five or 10 minutes uh, a bit. Now that's mostly a mise en place thing for chefs. But over time, a lot of us has figured out that, yeah, that can cook more evenly. Um, or at least that's one way of doing it. So but does it know, have I anything it to do with the, thing, with the thickness of it? Does it matter? It's just surface. Uh, it, it's just the surface. Because if you think about it, like what part of your steak gets overcooked? The surface. And, and so what you're trying to do is, is, is reduce the steepness of the temperature gradient to the surface. And so you can do that a bunch of ways. You can temper the steak. You can turn down the temperature of your pan or, or cool your grill off. You can flip every 30 seconds. You can reverse here. Anything that slows down how quickly you're bringing heat into the surface mm. so that it has time to leave the surface and go into the center is going to give you a more evenly cooked steak. And, and so a lot of the videos I want to do are trying to, you know, basically say there's some truth to these myths. Um, there's, you know, and, and it's not always true. It depends on the case. But lots of people are very absolutist about these things of you should always temper the steak or you should never temper the steak. Like people want to be absolutes when it comes to cooking. And yet the reality of cooking is it's far more complicated than we think. And, and sometimes it matters. Once we get through the tempering of the steak argument, then we yeah. rebring up one of the fanciest arguments that have yeah. stayed around. Now, not only has it stayed around, if you watch enough cooking on television even present day, you will hear undoubtedly somebody who is held in some type of culinary regard say, you want to put this sear on the steak, it's going to seal in the juices. We have long known on this show that searing doesn't seal in the juices. You can take a well-seared steak right off the grill, and the outside is wet. So to me, yep. searing, sealing in the juice, that would be a very dry crust, and it's locked whatever's inside there in there it's not wet on the outside yeah. if it sits on the plate for 30 seconds and you lift it up there's not going to be any moisture on the plate but always there is so what yeah. are you talking about when you're talking about sealing in the juices with searing yeah so that's another one i've probably i mean harold mcgee's talked about it uh, meathead's talked about it kenji's talked about it i wrote about it in modernist cuisine like everybody you know and yet it's a thing chefs say. It's a thing that, you know, uh, people on TV who are cooking say all the time, oh, you got to sear it to seal in the juices. And, you know, uh, again, I, I, when I first sat down to create the video, I thought, oh, I'm going to I'm going to show you all the reasons that's not true. I'm going to do this cool cutaway of the steak. I'm going to show you, look, there's steam coming out the crust. The sizzle in the pan is juices leaking out of the steak. We can weigh it before and after. We can, you know, we can do all these comparisons. We can use sous vide as a control. And, you know, it's pretty easy to debunk that, you know, that the crust holds in the juices, even a little, like, because somebody might make the argument, well, it's better than nothing. Well, actually, no, it, it's, it makes no difference. And, and I show that. But here's the thing, like, who gives a crap about how much moisture is left in the, in the steak at the end of it? What, what you care about is how does it taste? You know, it, how, how juicy is it when you eat it? And, you know, what occurred to me is that I had never really tried to test, like, hey, does a seared, is a seared steak juicier than an unseared steak? And so for your viewers who haven't seen the video, the experiment was I'm going to take a steak and I'm going to quickly sear it. Um, then I'm going to stop the, the cooking and I'm going to seal it sous vide. Uh, then I'm going to take another steak that's exactly the same steak. In fact, I split the steak in half and I did, I did this more times off camera than I show because that would make for boring videos. Yeah. But, 
Uh, and I did ones where I sous vide at first and I sear it later. I did all the permutations. The point is, I cooked one steak that was identical with no searing, one that was seared. I took them out. I sliced them into the same size slices, the same weight. Uh, and then I, I chewed them for exactly 20 seconds without any swallowing. Uh, and, and, and there's no delicate way to say this. I spit them out into a cup and I, I weighed the steak before and after chewing. Uh, because what, what, if you look at the, the world of sensory scientists, what sensory scientists have known for years is all of the juice that's actually in the steak after cooking, after the first two or three chews, your teeth are going to have squeezed it out and, and you, you swallow constantly while you're chewing, if you're a normal person. And so that juice is gone after the first two, three, four chews. And we've all had the experience of eating a steak that's kind of juicy at first, and then it gets very mealy and grainy and, and pappy. And, and that's a gross piece of meat, right? Um, for something to stay juicy, you have to provide the juice, you know, your saliva, you know, has to provide it. And so the thing I was sort of interested in is like, look, when we sear a steak, we get all these mired reactions, we get umami compounds, we get aroma compounds, we get taste it's, these probably trigger a big saliva response. And mm. sure enough, mm. what I show is that the steak that had a crust on it with no salt, no pepper, no seasonings put on this, just, just seared. That steak ends up 30% juicier than the perfectly cooked sous vide steak with, with no crust on it because you're adding about 30% of the weight of the meat in juices. You keep it juicy. And so this is a great example where I think what happens often in culinary myths is somebody cooks something and observes something is better. It's juicier. It's more delicious. And that is often true. But then, you know, people like to create a mechanism. They like to explain it. It's like in barbecue, they say, you know, the stall is caused by collagen melting or fat rendering. We all like to ascribe mechanisms, but never do the experiments. So you had, I think, this adage that has stayed with us for hundreds of years. If you have to sear the piece of meat to seal in the juices, when what you're really describing is, yeah, a seared piece of meat tastes juicier than a, than a poorly seared piece of meat. I think so, also you know, there's some truth to that. When you hear... The chef or the experts say mm -hmm. searing seals in the juices. The at-homer says, mm -hmm. well, I want a juicy steak, and that's the way mm -hmm. I have to execute in order to make sure that the steak is juicy. I have to sear yep. it, and they're not thinking at all about how their mouth is going to salivate or yep. what triggers it's going to have. They just want to make sure they're doing it like the expert says. Yeah, and, and uh, so, yes, people just sort of follow the rules and, and they look for experts or authorities and you, you choose your favorite expert, you choose your favorite YouTuber or TV chef, and then, you know, you tend to slavishly repeat everything they say or do, even though, like, we're all wrong a lot. Um, and, and so I think it's kind of interesting to come along and say, hey, let's, let's challenge that. Let's put it to the test and see if it's actually true. And in a lot of cases, it's not. And I think one of the reasons this was so interesting is you have a lot of people that start to obsess over, you know, I don't want to overcook the steak while searing it. I don't want to cook out all the juices. I don't want to, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I need to rest it so that it stays juicy and all of these things. And it turns out actually, don't worry about that. Like searing it will actually make it seem juicier because it's more delicious. Hmm. Uh, what other experiments are you working on? <laughs> so, uh, you, you know, I did a series of videos reviewing sort of smart ovens from Ninja and the new Breville Jewel oven and the, uh, uh, the June oven that that's now owned by Weber. Um, well, I, uh, finished that up. I ended up with a lot of countertop ovens I didn't need. So I took <laughs> the, uh, 
I, I disassemble and, and I in my review I say the the Ninja oven has the best convection fan of any oven. It's actually pretty great. It's a it's I, you know I have no relationship to Ninja, but I think it's a great product. Uh, and I had two of them for testing, so I took one of them apart, uh, acquired a very large glass fish tank, and I have built a glass smoker because uh, I want to do some time lapses of barbecue that you're seeing into the smoker while it cooks. We can do cutaways and, because uh -huh. there's a bunch of stuff around like. You know, we talk about things like, hey, um, you know, can can smoke stick, you know, if you pre-cook a piece of meat and then you smoke it, will it be worse than if I smoke from raw? Things like that. There's there's a ton of myth and lore in barbecue that I think is interesting to test. I, I love barbecue. And so I built the sort of ultimate controllable glass smoker where I have temperature control and humidity control and smoke control so that I can run these uh, tests. So so later this summer, there should be. There should be some fun stuff. Any updates on the combustion ink side of things? Uh, I think the main updates are uh, we just had a major update to our mobile app so that it has graphing. You can see the data from all eight sensors. We made some nice improvements to the predictions, particularly for low and slow cooking, which is pretty relevant as we get into barbecue season. Um, we'll have some stuff to announce uh, towards the end of this month about longer ranges and some new accessories, but mostly we're just listening to customers, taking the feedback and, you know, continuing to take what has so far been a very good product and polish it and make it better and build out the features people are asking for. Chris Young is the owner of Combustion Inc. Uh, that's combustion.inc from a website perspective. And make sure you're going over to youtube.com and then it's uh, at Chris Young Cooks. And you could subscribe to him and see all the great videos that he's doing. Chris, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for doing it. Greg, thank you very much for having me. Have a great night. That's Chris Young right there. I'm telling you, it's worth a subscribe and to see. He's got a pan that he's cut in half so you can actually see the steak that's cooking. And that steak has been cut in half. You can see everything happening in the cross section. I mean, how many people are cutting pans in half and showing you all that stuff? Great content. I love it. Well worth the subscribe, and again, 70, almost 73,000, 72,000 people subscribing. He references Guga. I meant to ask him if Guga is like the biggest joke or not currently. I'm not going to answer that, but I would ask Chris. I'm sure he would answer, actually, so we'll save that for next time. Smoking Joe is ready to go. Before we get to him, I'll talk to you about Big Papa Smokers, the one-stop online shop for all things barbecue. A curated selection of only the best outdoor cooking and grilling supplies known for the championship rubs and seasonings. Popular flavors like Sweet Money, Cattle Prod, Cash Cow, all proven winners on the competition circuit and in the backyard. Big Papa offering 13 perfectly balanced flavors, transforming ordinary meals into extraordinary meals. Plus, they own Granny's Barbecue Sauce. So if you're looking for a new go-to sauce that will please everybody, Granny's traditionally a powerful flavor reminds us of why we fell in love with barbecue in the first place. Find Granny's Barbecue Sauce and other top-rated barbecue sauces at BigPapaSmokers.com. And aside from the premium sauces and rubs, they're selling cookers. So if you're looking for a versatile smoker that's easy to use, you might want to check out that MAC 2-Star General Pellet Cooker. Big Papa's the exclusive Mac dealer, even offering special packages. If you're not a fan of pellet smokers or you don't know what grill you might need, call them. 877-828-0727. That's 877-828-0727. Or shop their website at BigPapaSmokers.com. That's B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A-Smokers. 
barbecuesocial.com. We are back with Joe Martinez right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Let's get back to a guy who has more experience giving you his opinion than he actually has cooking. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. And we thank Chris Young for joining us the last segment. This portion of the show being brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth. If you have Alexa or the Google Assistant in your home, you're in luck because Fireboard is fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. That's the good folks over at Fireboard. Uh, Jason King just sent me a image through Photoshop, and I look like I'm half drunk. So, Jason, get ready for a screen capture and uh, take this ready in three, two, one. All right. There we go. Hope everybody grabbed that. If not, go back into the video archives and then do whatever you do with that. But send it to me. I'll put it on the new website that we got. By the way, we got a new website. Remember that? Yeah. Coming out of the bullpen tonight is the owner-operator of Smoking Joe's Pit Barbecue Food Trailer. He's the focus of the 2023 Podgimentary Series. And he is here for the second of four quarterly appearances this year, sharing the good, the bad, the ugly of operating a barbecue food trailer, and outside of the business, he's also a prolific YouTube creator who generates some of the most impressive content out there on that platform. Let's welcome back our pal, Joe Martinez. All right, Joe, before we get into Visit 2, there is a YouTube poll question of the week. Because I asked everybody, have you ever eaten potted meat? Yes or no? What say you? Well, if a can is labeled potted meat, the answer is no. But, <laughs> no, but no spam, buts. No buts. <laughs> corned beef hash and spam, absolutely. All right. So no to the can labeled potted meat. By the way, the no's have just bridged and taken the lead back over at 52%. We were nodded at 50% all the way through Chris Young's segment there. So we are neck and neck. We'll see how it ends up here as the show concludes. Uh, Joe, you were first on uh, about three months ago. We went well into the background, why you started the trailer, and everything involved getting it to day one of opening sales. So correct me if I'm wrong, but as we looked at the money investment, was it like seventy-five grand or so in before you opened for day one? Yeah, $75,000. Um, that doesn't include the smoker. That's just the trailer itself. Um, so, yeah, it's it's right at $75,000. right, so... Just making sure we keep this in perspective in true operating uh, where we're at today. You've been up and running now for about seven months? Correct, seven All months. All right, so this interview is going to carry from day one of being open through those first three months. So you ready to go? Let's go. Here we go. So after all the prep work is done, you spend all this money, you get the cooker, you found the space that you're going to be putting up with, you've done the hype, blah, blah, blah. What was day one of real barbecue sales like for Smoking Joe's Pit Barbecue? Sales were good, but it was a nightmare, Greg. Um, <laughs> everything, I mean, you know, you, you planned so much for it. 
and you, you know you hope everything goes well but uh things did not start off well that morning um we had some gas problems inside the trailer i couldn't light my oven my fryer my my flat top and and you know how sometimes gas grills will get like an air pocket and you have to unplug and disconnect and bleed and all this other stuff so that's what was happening well it ended up being the regulator was too small for the trailer mm. and uh that caused us to open up about 45 minutes later than we anticipated. Um, but there was a lot of other things that happened, obviously, that made it a little bit more difficult aside from the gas problem we had. When the first day ends, what was the one thing you needed to immediately change before you went back at it the next day? Uh, probably not change, but, but learn our, our point of sale system. Um, because part of that, part of the problem that we had at opening day was <clears throat> customers, you know, they had a pad on the outside of the trailer and where they would sign for their order and leave a tip if they want to leave a tip, but they also had the option to not print a receipt or print a receipt. Well, many customers were choosing to not print a receipt. Well, what was happening was that order was getting lost. I had customers lining up outside and I'm, you know, I'm asking them, you know, what were you waiting for? He said, well, I'm waiting for my order. I said, do, do you have your receipt? And, well, I don't have my receipt. And I'm like, do you remember what you ordered? <laughs> and they said, yeah, I remember exactly what I ordered. So, you know, I took it for granted. And obviously, I didn't know my point of sale system like I do now. So that created a little bit of a heartache and mm -hmm. kind of put us behind a little bit. But um, definitely the point of sale, I had to learn that thing immediately. Like, there was no no way around it. There was no shortcuts to it, but uh, customers were, were opting to not get a receipt and I was losing orders and it just caused us to kind of get behind a little bit, but we worked it out. But, you know, if there was one thing, you know, that I had to learn, the biggest thing was learn, learn your point of sale system, the ins and outs, how to reprint receipts and stuff like that. Who do you use? Uh, toast. Oh, really? Toast. Yeah. Came highly recommended from uh, your, your pals. Oh, Sean, when it doesn't uh, work, it's my pal. I yeah, see. Your pal. Okay. <laughs> so is that a thing where you, because you've heard really good rave reviews about it, it was just something that you thought was going to be easy or like what, where was the misstep? Yeah. You know, I thought it was, I thought I had it figured out. Um, yeah. But, you know, there's so many things uh, getting ready for opening day that, that you forget some of the little stuff, you know, and, and it, it was, overlooked if you will and and uh, that's not that's not the most exciting thing that happened that day but that was something that kind of made us fall behind a little bit what's the most exciting thing that happened <clears throat> well <laughs> so we ended up opening 45 minutes late uh, 11 45 and we were sold out in four hours okay <clears throat> but in the thick of it in the thick of it i had a deep fryer in there and i didn't want a deep fryer because <clears throat> i don't think deep fryers belong in food trucks barbecue food trucks. And um, so my nephew got the the bottle of butter that we we're using on the griddle and laid it on the top of the fryer, which was really hot. So when we're taking care of customers, we hear this big pop. Well, the bottle had melted into the deep fryer oh. and that chemical reaction of the plastic hitting the deep fryer, it got smoky inside the food trailer. We had fries that were frying. And I had to turn off the fryer and I had to take the fries off the, off the menu. 
you know, for our smoke burgers. So that was pretty exciting. Uh, oil was splattering everywhere because don't mix, I guess. But yeah, it was a mess. One of my questions here to follow up on that first day was as you were opening and as it related to labor, because it sounds like you have somebody there with it. Was it just you or did you did you have volunteers or did you hire uh, some labor help? So it was me and my brother, which right now it's still currently my brother and I, and my wife was there, my daughter was there, and then my nephew um, volunteered to help out, and he helped out by melting that butter, uh, that bottle of butter into the deep fryer. Your late but, nephew, no, yeah. you mean? <laughs> yeah, my late nephew. <laughs> wow. Uh, biggest takeaways during the first two to three weeks of being open? Oh, man, biggest takeaways is, man, you, you know – the one thing for me, Greg, was I thought I knew the business. You know, I thought I knew barbecue, but I know barbecue. But when it comes to running the business, like actually selling, it's a different ballgame, man. And, and you know, I had some restaurant experience. You know, I used to work at a Dairy Queen. I worked at McDonald's when I was going to school in Phoenix and stuff like that. But it's nothing like running your own business. Um, so, you know, the one thing that I would highly recommend is, Ask for help if if you can go somewhere and and help a, a, a barbecue restaurant. If you're going to start a food truck, go to a barbecue joint in your area and, and ask the owner, hey, can I work here for a couple of weeks, man, just to get my feet wet? Let me charge customers. Let me clean your restrooms. Let me clean your pit. Let me see what this is about. Um, and I did that, but I should have done more of it because I think I would have learned a lot more doing that. What did business look like at the end of month one? What kind of money are you generating revenue-wise? So our first month in business, uh, granted, we're just opened up uh, Friday and Saturday. Uh, we did seventeen thousand dollars in sales, um, which again we're not uh, making that much money at that point. You know, my food cost was uh, in the forty percent uh, range, which is extremely high. Um, you know, I, I'm I, now I've you know obviously I found vendors where I can get things at a little bit better price, but. When you first get started, there's so much money that gets dumped into, you know, things that you're going to need. Um, but, um, yeah, it was it was it was a rough uh, first month. But you know, I learned a lot the first month as well. Do you make any changes to the trailer or the business or the menu or whatever as you lead into that second month? Then? Oh, absolutely. We've um, we added. I've changed my menu twice since I've opened. Um, but I did change the menu once I got rid of my deep fryer. Um, <laughs> cause one of the things, you know, I, I really didn't want a deep fryer to begin with. And after that first day, I was like, okay, I'm getting rid of it. So did I put somebody a, a talk soda you machine. into getting it? I mean, I, I feel like you were the biggest advocate of not wanting it. And then somehow somebody strong armed you into it, even though you didn't want it. Yeah, the builder of the food truck said, "Hey, man, I have this deep fryer right here. Check it out." I said, "Yeah, throw it in there." And um, but I, I ended up getting rid of it because we had our our sodas in ice coolers outside of the trailer, and customers would have to grab their own sodas, and I didn't want to have to continue to buy ice every single morning. So I, I got a cooler. I contacted my Coke rep, and uh, it's the best decision I've ever made. You know, get rid of the fryer and put a soda machine in there. Hmm. Uh, what was business like then in month two as it closes out? So month two actually slowed down. <clears throat> so we're heading into November now, heading into winter. Um, and I started September 24th was our first day of opening. 
Um, October, we had a really good month. Well, decent month. And then November, December came. And, and when you're in a food truck, the one thing that, that you have to factor in is that your customers are going to have to sit outside and eat their food. And if the weather is terrible, um, they're not going to come out. If it's cold, you know, if it's 30 degrees, they're not going to come out there and sit and, and eat barbecue, you know, they won't even get um, it to go. No. Well, back then I, I wasn't set up to, no, I, I did have some to go customers, but I wasn't set up with some of your delivery services like, you know, um, DoorDash and, and Uber Eats and stuff, which I should have done from the get go. As you get going on month three, are you still running the same plan as month two or are you also making adjustments from month two to month three? Yeah, make the 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 biggest adjustments, and this is probably one of the biggest battles, Greg, is is and I should know this with my previous job, you know, um, where you have historical sales. So we didn't have any historical sales. It's my first year open and I don't know what the next day is going to bring. What, you know, are customers going to show up? Are they not going to show up? So I started adjusting pretty aggressively, you know, um, by, you know, limiting the number of briskets that I cooked that day, the number of racks of ribs that I cooked that day. So I started adjusting. So if I was slow, if my food cost was lower, I was still better off, you know, than having an extremely high food cost and at the end of the day having to throw so much food away. So I had to learn to adjust that and, and, all of our sides included, not just the proteins, but our sides as well. As you close out that first three months or the first quarter of operating, where are you at gross revenue was? Um, we generated right at $48,000 in the first uh, three months of, of business. And, you know, that was enough, Greg, uh, that was enough to, you know, to pay myself and my brother and my daughter started working with us as a cashier as well. So, um, again, I'm not getting rich the first three months. I know that it was going to be difficult, especially, you know, being that I started, uh, in winter Had I started in the summer, things may have been different, but I'm, I'm almost glad that I started in the winter. Um, cause I, again, I get to put my feet in the, in the water, if you will, a little bit at a time and, you know, kind of grow with the business instead of just getting thrown into the fire. Are you ahead or behind what your expectation or what your benchmarks might've been for that first quarter? I'm, I'm a little behind. Um, you know, I was expecting more, but I will say this. So the first day that, that, that we opened, uh, we did $3,800 in sales that just that one day. And I reached out to, uh, a local, uh, barbecue owner. He was in the Texas top 50 or Texas monthly top 50 barbecue restaurants. And he started in a food truck and I talked to him after my first day and I was tired. I mean, I was dead tired. And he says, how did it go, Joe? And I said, man, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we only did like $3,800. He's like, what? And he, I said, yeah, we did $3,800, man, the first day. We sold out in four hours. He goes, Joe, he goes, that's a great day for a barbecue truck. I mean, are you kidding me? For a food truck, that is a great day. And I was like, okay, well, that made me feel a little bit better, you know? So he kind of reassured me that, hey, man, it's okay. You're, you're doing great, you know? Aside from being able to pay your brother, uh, you know, your daughter, the cashier, yourself a little bit, um, are you also reinvesting any net profits back into that business? Yes. Um, there's a lot of things that I'm doing. You know, I started, um, 
looking at ways to grow our business, you know what, cause I don't want to be in a food truck forever. I don't want to do another winter in the food truck. Um, you know, if I find a place where my customers can sit down and enjoy their, their lunch or dinner and it's covered and it's got heated or air conditioned, that's fine. But, um, I'm starting to, to save a lot of money because I want to get a, uh, you know, ghost kitchen, still operate my food truck, but I want to get a ghost kitchen and, and expand my business that way. And there's a lot of things that, that you need, even after the first month of opening, you start to figure out that, man, I don't have this and I don't need this. So whether it's a refrigerator, uh, maybe a deep freeze that you're going to need. So there's things that you're going to need that are kind of come along. So, you know, you have to budget for that. Anytime that you're starting a food truck, there's you think you have it all, but there's going to be a lot of things that are going to come up that you better have the money for it. If not, it's going to hurt you. What are you hearing from the customers, folks that are coming to pay their money, eat your food? What are they enjoying the most? What kind of feedback you get? You know, I get a lot of really good feedback, Greg. Um, that's the one thing that I think keeps me going. And I think that any good cook or a chef or a pit master appreciates that when a customer when you go out there and say, hey, how's the food? They say, man, this this brisket is amazing. You know, they I've heard things like, you know, and I, and I appreciate all the feedback and the customers are like, man, I've been all over Texas. I've been to Austin and your brisket is up there with the best of them, man. You're you're doing you're doing the right thing. Your food is absolutely amazing. You know, it's you just got to get continue on the path that you're on and, and let more people know that you're actually here because we didn't know you were here. But you know, obviously I do have a, a pretty decent YouTube channel and you'd be surprised, Greg, how many subscribers will travel to come eat at my barbecue food really? truck. Um, yeah. And that was, <clears throat> that's probably the, the biggest uh, appreciation of it. You know, when I have somebody that comes in from California, Hey, I drove in from California, you know, just to come eat your barbecue. And I was like, wow, man, that's, that's, you know, that makes me feel good, you know? So a lot of really good compliments, uh, but the brisket, obviously the sausage, the sides, you know, everybody likes all the food pretty much in the food truck. What are you doing over from a promotions standpoint at the end of the first quarter to continue to keep the hype and generate that interest? Nothing promotional outside of my social media accounts. Um, you know, I've, I've got some, a decent size, you know, social media, you know, on Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. And, and again, if I go live on TikTok, for example, if I'm trimming briskets one morning, um, I'll have a customer that shows up and said, Hey, I saw you on TikTok," And, and I said, Oh man, you're in El Paso. I noticed that you're at this place or whatever. I had no idea that you were here. So that's one piece of advice, Greg, if I could say this, you know, a lot of people that want to start a food truck and, or any type of business, if you don't have a social media account, you better start one up, man, because it really helps. It's absolutely free to do it. And if I didn't have the following that I do on YouTube or Instagram, I don't think I'd have half of the business that I have right now. So, you know, if you're, if you're going to start a food truck, man, you, you've got to start a food truck or a, a social media accounts to get your name out there. I know my friend, Sean Walchef is a big proselytizer of digital storytelling. And he's always telling people, you know, get over yourself, start telling your story. Nobody tells your story better than you do and obviously that's something that you're latching on and running with and reaping the rewards of so congratulations to you on that outside of the business joe what's home life like how you feeling physically mentally and all that stuff outside of the business 
Honestly, physically, I am tired. I am tired. I've never worked so hard in my life. You know, I'm talking 16, 17 hour days. Um, but what's crazy, Greg, is that our body is a, it's an amazing thing because I never thought I could work 17 hours, you know, 17 hour shift. And it's like my body is used to it. Like to me right now, I'm tired, but I love doing what I'm doing. So that's what keeps me going. And I'm not like completely out of gas at the end of the day, but I am dead tired. I've never worked so hard in my life, but you know, like Sean said, you know, um, or, uh, you were saying earlier that nobody tells a story like you will. Well, nobody cares about the business more than you ever will. And if you're not there, you know, I don't think that your business will survive. So I've got to be there a hundred percent of the time right now, at least while I'm growing the business. So I'm asking you to look back at the end of month three after that first quarter of business had ended, how were you planning for those next three months? What did you want to see happen? Well, obviously like, like everything, I mean, we want to see our business grow. And, you know, so I started looking at, you know, things that I could do. And, and I looked at, uh, you know, I reached out to some uh, local advertising companies like the news and stuff that can help you advertise. But, you know, I wanted to grow my business more and more. So there's things that I did, you know, I got into um, DoorDash, you know, DoorDash. Actually, I started that in December and that has helped tremendously. So if you don't have any walk-up customers, you know, if you can generate three, four, five, six hundred dollars a day in just DoorDash orders or electronic orders, I guess, if you want to call them from any company, um, you have got to jump on that game because while you're sitting there, expect you know waiting for a customer to walk up um the internet and the world is changing you know people are ordering groceries online i mean and and food online like crazy and if you're not in that you're missing out on so much right now we are talking with the owner operator smoking joe's pit barbecue the barbecue food trailer out there in el pasco joe martinez you can find him on youtube of course and on instagram as you can see there on the lower third at smoking joe's pit bbq Joe, anything else uh, during those first three months that we haven't talked about or that you would like to add here before I cut you loose tonight? No, man. And anybody starting a new business, you know, don't give up. It's a, it's a lot of work. But uh, if, you, if you can see the the light at the end of the tunnel, man, it's there is light at the end of the tunnel, and it's getting better. And I can't wait to tell you guys uh, about the first or second quarter and third quarter of being in business. All right, Joe, always appreciate the time. Continued success, and we'll talk to you again in three months. Thanks, Greg. Smoking Joe right there. So what I appreciate from Joe and also what I appreciated from Rusty last year is these guys are totally transparent, telling us exactly what they're experiencing because I do believe that there is a number of folks out there who were in Joe's position, tired of the 9 to 5, tired of the corporate gig to have a barbecue background of some degree, whether it's just a backyard, maybe they've done it in competitions. You've seen a lot of guys transfer out of the competition ranks to get into the restaurant ranks or the food trailer ranks for that reason. And uh, Joe was doing it, and now he's giving us all the perspective and all the experience, the good, bad, and the ugly, as I said there in the beginning, of what it's like for him out there in El Paso. So we will catch up with him and see what the second quarter of business looks like and by the third visit, we'll be more caught up to present day here. Uh, definitely by the end of the year for that fourth visit, we'll uh, bring it up to where he is currently, and that way everybody will know 
where we stand here at the end of 2023. But great info. And again, appreciate John's openness and candor as he answers all the questions for all of us to learn and be able to be a little bit more wiser on if we should take that step as well. Uh, I can know one thing. I'm not doing that. Plenty of great feedback here in the instant chat through some emails that I'm getting as well. Talking about Joe being a great guest and being really open and appreciating that interview. So thanks to Joe for continuing to do this. I know it can't be easy, especially talking about the not great times, but those are the things that people want to hear about. I mean, it'd be great. Everybody making a shitload of money. Everything's easy. My barbecue is the greatest. I'm going to be number one on Texas top 50 next year. All that stuff. That's not real life. Real life is having your nephew put the bottle of butter grease on top of the oil and it pops and it goes into the deep fryer and you're screwed. That's what we want to hear about. The real stuff. So we appreciate Joe for that. All right, let's wrap it up here. Stick around. We'll be right back. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you found the best triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpy. And we thank Joe Martinez for joining us last time and talking about that food trailer business that he has going on. The 2023 podumentary subject, as we call it here on the show. Dan on the instant chat saying food truck roundtable in a future episode, please. Maybe. Maybe indeed. All right, let's go ahead and break loose as we are just a bit over the top of the hour. All the way back in the first hour was Meathead from AmazingRibs.com in his usual Tuesday segment. And then followed him with Robert Moss, RobertFMoss.com, talking about the Hall of Fame and also Brunswick Stoop. He did mention the word Burgoo, which I think is a Kentucky school. That closed the first hour. They moved the second hour. First guest at 14 past the second hour was Chris Young from Combustion.inc. And then closing out the show, Joe Martinez from Spoken Joe's Pit Barbecue. The third Tuesday of the month is next week, and I believe will be revisited by the first time in many, many months. A barbecue icon, Stephen Reichlin, will be showing up next month, amongst many others. Maybe Susie Bullock will make an appearance. So stay tuned for that. If you missed the show yesterday on the 10 finalists for the Barbecue Hall of Fame, it is in the podcast feed. Make sure you go back and get that. And if you're just tuning in live right now, don't worry. Hour number one tomorrow in podcast, hour number two on Thursday, and then the best moments of on Friday. So how do I always leave? September 11th, 2001. I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now. from Cleveland, Ohio, and you're listening to Barbecue Central.